This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to uh, turn now, if you've got a Bible, to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Um, one of the things that uh, Craig just referenced or mentioned in his prayers was marriages. And uh, as we've been seeing in these last couple of weeks, and we'll see um, today, Peter, who is this wonderful pastor, is writing and addressing different people in different situations with different needs in these scattered churches. And uh, we've come now to chapter um, chapter 3, but we're going to start our reading in chapter 2, um, verse 21. So 2, verse 21, and then we're going to read through to chapter 3, verse Verse 7, and then Pete's going to come and open these words to us. So verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, Submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters If you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Uh, Well, good morning. My name's uh, Pete Woodcock. I'm one of the pastors of the church. If you're visiting, then it is great to have you with us. We're going through 1 Peter, as Tom says, and uh, we're looking at this um, husbands. Husbands, are you ready? Sure. Yeah? Who's not ready? (laughs) Uh, Let me pray. Father, help us, uh, please, to listen to your word. There's one verse here for those who are husbands, 
and uh, we pray please that you would help us to take this and seriously listen. We need your spirit to do so. We really do need your spirit to help us to be obedient to your word. So please, may your spirit be here that we may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, see if you recognize this conversation. I, I guess you will. Uh, if you're a parent, you will. If you're uh, even a, a, a kid, you should recognize uh, this conversation. It goes something like this. Dad, can I... Stop there, son. I'm not talking to you until you go and say sorry to your mother. But Dad, I just want... Go and say sorry to your mother, and then I'll speak to you. Off you go. Now, that's a really, really important conversation, actually. Uh, It's very, very important that uh, children learn that, actually. They learn that how you treat one member of their family affects your relationship with other members of the family. They need to learn that. And they need to learn that because that's the way God works. God works like that. God will never allow us to separate our relationship with him uh, from our relationships with others, how we treat other people. Your relationship with God affects the way you treat other people, and your relationship with other people affects how you treat God, your relationship with God. There's There's a really false spirituality that separates our relationship with God from our relationship with people. That's a false spirituality. You could spend hours on a mountaintop, and I don't know why these people always want to go up a mountain or an island or something. You could spend hours on a mountaintop or on an island. You could read scriptures for hours upon hours. But if you're mean and cruel and rude and unkind and unthankful to the people that God has put around you, he's not going to listen to you. Jesus makes it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount, that magnificent sermon. He says that if you come and offer your gift at the altar, in other words, he's using Old Testament imagery there, if you come to God with a gift to bring you into God's presence, and you remember at that point that your brother has something against you, that a member of the family, the member of the kingdom of God has something against you, leave the altar Leave that relationship with God and go back and be reconciled to your brother. Then bring your gift. There's going to be no authentic worship, he says. There'll be no authentic or effective prayer if you treat people badly. Leave your gift there in front of the altar, says Jesus. Go first and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. Now, look at 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. So he's talking to husbands. And then look at the end. Look at the end of the verse. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. I'm not listening to your prayers. Until you go and treat your wife properly. See what he's saying? Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, which we'll we'll come on to, but just have a look. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears 
are attentive to their prayers. Whose prayers? The righteous, the one he looks at. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's ears are attentive to the prayers of the righteous, but he will not listen to those who do evil. James says in his book in the Bible, the prayers of the righteous man is effective. The prayer of a righteous man is effective. In other words, you can't separate right living, which is how you treat people around you, and prayer, and God. Don't be one of these super spiritual people that thinks that you can have super spiritual experiences. It doesn't matter what experience you have, if you're treating people wrongly, God's not listening. That's the principle. And it runs right the way through the Bible. And Peter takes it up in this passage. He says, husbands, I'm particularly talking to you husbands, although this will relate to all kinds of relationships, but husbands, if you are relating to your wives in an unrighteous way, your prayers will be hindered. I'm not talking to you until you go and sort that out with your wife. If you're not treating your wife right at home, Don't think that God will listen to your prayers here in church. God will press the mute button and click it off. And your head can be talking 100 miles an hour and all kinds of stuff, but he's pressed the mute button. I don't want to hear until you go back. So how am I to be a righteous man? How am I to treat my wife as a Christian husband so that God will be happy with my prayers? Now, I realize that coming to church can be a tense moment in families, particularly when the stupid government takes away an hour, uh, or whatever it is. There's suddenly tension. And I guess, and let me just sort of, you know, say the elephant in the room, there's been some strop on the way coming here. Uh, And why why didn't you do the clock? You should have done the clock, or something. Where's the sandwiches? Oh, where's the biscuits? Where's the kids? Get the kids in the car! Oh, we're going to be late! There's all of that sort of already happened. Okay, let's, let's try and put that to a side so that we can then hear this and then you can repent of that later, okay? <laughs> but you do need to repent of that. So how am I going to live? Well, here's the first point. Here's the first point. Be like Christ. Notice he says, in the same way. Be like Christ, in the same way. Look, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. The path of Christian living is not different for the husband or for the wife. They're, they're the same. It's the same path for the husband and the wife. Both are called. In fact, we're all called to follow Christ in humble, compassionate love and forgiving grace. That's what we're called to, husbands. That's what you're called to, wives. We're called to be humble, compassionate in our love and have forgiving grace. So back to the powerful illustration of Christ at the end of chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2 of Peter, and you'll see that in the same way, it means in the same way as Christ did this. Christ behaved like this. Husbands, you follow in that example. So look at chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called. This is your calling. This is your high calling. This is, this is the calling above every other thing you do in life. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found 
in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Now there's so much stuff in there, but it's how Christ lived. And we are called to be like him. No one had more authority than Christ, the King of Kings. No one has more power than the creator of the universe. And yet look how he responded to ill treatment. Look how he responded to cruel people. Look how he responded to unjust uh, sufferings. He was sinless. He was innocent. He was perfect. Christ denied himself. He could have grumbled. He could have said, you treat me like that and I'll treat you like this. He could have clicked his fingers and angels would have been at his disposal to take anyone off that was disagreeing with him. He could have barked out his orders. And we're not meant to do that. We're meant to be like Christ, without retaliation, without threatenings, not doubting the mission of God, trusting the mission of God, our calling. So husbands, in the same way, deny yourself. Don't abuse your authority. Don't bark out your orders. Don't lose your temper with your wife. Don't force obedience, whether that's, you know, physically, powerfully, or that, that horrible passive aggression that some of us have, where you go grumpy or moody if you don't get your way. It's an aggression, but it's called a passive aggression. Christ didn't do any of that. No sin, no deceit, no insults. So that is your job. Your wife is given to you for you to love and to lead so that together you can serve him. Like Christ, he loved the church and gave his life for the church. You do the same. The heart of a godly man then is to imitate his saviour, follow his saviour, use all his powers to serve his wife, not demanding his rights, but serving his wife so that together you serve You'll notice there's a lot of togethers in this. In a minute we'll see that. Together we serve God. Just go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and see Paul sort of developing this same, same thought. So in Ephesians 5, it won't come up, it doesn't matter. We need to learn to open our Bibles. Um, Ephesians 5 and uh, verse 26. Listen to this, there's so much here and I can't really open all this up because we are in 1 Peter, but nevertheless, look. Husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see that? So husbands, your job is to give yourself, give your life. You are to save your wife as it were. You are to give your life for her. What, how, why? To make her holy, cleansing. It's a beautiful word. It's a delicate word. It's cleaning. It's dabbing. It's... It's cleansing her, washing her, like you would a sick person. You would dab them, you would wash them, you would clean them. 
you would move them into the right position, like a nurse cleansing your wife. There's, there's a gentleness there. But, but how do you wash her? By the washing with the water through the word. You're, you're using the word of God. And you're, you're, you're ministering to her the word of God, not shouting at her, not, not just saying, look what the Bible says. That's, that's not caring, that's not washing. It's ministering the word of God. How do I treat my wife? What am I supposed to do here? I'll dab her here, I'll wash her here, I'll turn her over here like a nurse, bathing a sick person. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Your job, men, is to wash your wife and clean your wife with the word of God so that you're going to give her to another man. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Your job is to give her to another man. Your job is to prepare her for Jesus. Not not for you. Not so you can dominate her. You're preparing her for Jesus. And then look, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, there's the same phrase that Peter uses. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Love, give, wash, concerned that the wife is becoming more like Christ. How do I minister to her? How do I wash her? How do I, how do I deal with this? Not in some authoritative, shouty way, but loving, caring, leading. That's my job as a husband, Peter is saying. It, it's not that I go to work and I've done the work and I've earned the wages and so therefore I come home and now it's an opportunity for me to be served because I'm paying the maid to serve me. I, I, I come home from the secular work to serve my wife, to minister the word of God to her, to listen to her day, to dab her with the water of the word. Yeah? So in the same way as Christ is committed to the church, you husbands, you be committed to your wife. That's the first point, okay? Here's the second that Peter says. Be considerate. It means knowledge. Look at verse 7 again. We'll read 7 quite a few times. Husbands, in the same way, same way as Christ, we've seen that, that's the first point. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Be considerate. Now the word there is is knowledge, according to knowledge. So look at your wife according to knowledge. 
It's an intimate word. It's a word that's often used when a man knows his wife. It's often used for sex. But Peter isn't going on about sex here. He's not suddenly, you know, talking about slaves and wives and, oh, now men, sex, and everybody's ears are up. Oh, yeah, this is the bit I want to hear. I don't think this is about sex, even though one commentary I read said it's all about sex. But that was a bloke who wrote that. But it's intimate, it's personal, it's knowledge, it's rationally knowing, it's intimacy in the sense of a best friend. I know this person. I understand her. It's amazing, isn't it, that two married people can live together and not really know each other. Ignorance is is a danger in any area of life, but particularly in marriage. Apply your mind to your wife, Peter is saying. There's nobody else in the world like your wife. She's like no other woman that God has made. Don't just treat her like a woman. She's your wife. You need to know her. Your job is to know her. Your job is to know her and to know the scriptures to help her. You know her and you know the scriptures. You're not ignorant of them and you know how to help her. Understand your wife. What makes her happy? Discover what hurts her and avoid it. Understand her struggles, her fears, her emotions, her hopes, her dreams. Let knowledge shape the way you relate to her. I heard an American pastor say this. It has to be American because everybody has a shrink and a counsellor, don't they? But he said this uh, to husbands. Never let it be said that her best friend or her counsellor understand her better than you. I thought that was amazing. There should be no one who understands your wife better than you. That's God's calling for you, a lifelong calling to understand her and understand her today. You know, people talk nonsense, don't they? She's not the woman I married. What? Well, you're not the bloke she married. huh? It's just nonsense, isn't it? You've got to understand her today and the things she's going through today and the circumstances in her life and the circumstances that are changing her today. Know her, know the scriptures and shape your relationship with her around that. You know, some blokes know their football team better than their wife. Oh, yeah, he's got big toe problem. That's why he's not playing today. A metatarsal issue. Who had ever heard of that until football came along? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, of course, we're not playing him today because we're resting him for the game tomorrow. You know, it's got the, we, know our wife, we know our football team. We can talk about it. Like, uh, you know, he's going to play. Yeah, he's, he's, oh, I'm so pleased he's playing today. How's your wife? Oh, I don't know. Uh, but he's really good. <laughs> or some people, you know, go bird watching. And they can tell you everything about the bird. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a grey uh, a, a magpie. Or, as I saw around here, in fact, there is one here, uh, that's a grey wagtail. And do you know grey wagtails are yellow? 
There's a yellow wagtail as well, but the yellow wagtail is not quite uh, as grey as the grey wagtail because the grey wagtail has got a little bit of grey out the front. And you'll notice this is a... Now, look at the lovely plumes here. That is, he's, he's obviously a, a male. He's got nice yellow things. How's your wife? I don't know. Uh, but look at the... Uh, uh, see, see, oh, now, see what he's doing. The tail goes up and down in time. Do you know once I watched a grey wagtail, which is yellow, and uh, I, I noticed that it was in time with my... How's your wife? I've no idea. What's she doing? I don't know. Oh, she's out with some friends. Or people know about fish. (laughs) Tench. Oh, you get the lovely tench. Tench is at the bottom feeder. If you're going to catch a tench, you've got to go into the troughs. Because they're in the troughs. They're a bottom feeder. Their mouth is lovely tench. There's there's orange tench and there's grey tench. But if you look at the eyes of a tench, they've got lovely orange eyes. How's your wife? I don't know. What's she doing? Something. Know your wife. Study her. Get the binoculars out. Actually, that would be weird. <laughs> but study her. Watch her plumage. What? <laughs> anyway, let's move on. I'm going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> be considerate. So know her. That's what it means. As you live with your wife... Live with your wife in an understanding way. That's what he's saying. But those words there, live means dwell or house, and with means obviously together. So it's dwell together, house together. And it's a command from the Apostle Peter. Husbands, you are responsible for the togetherness, the living togetherness of your marriage. It's not her job, it's your job. If there's drifting in your marriage, if there's distance or a dullness in your marriage, it may not be your fault, husband, but it might be. But even if it isn't, your job is to sort that drifting out. Dwell, live together in understanding. You're not flatmates. This isn't a flatmate that you have sex with. This is someone that you dwell together with. She's not a flatmate. She's a helper of the Lord for you to do God's work. She's not there to serve you or to serve your plans. She's there to help you together do God's work. There is such a thing as as mental separation. I've noticed this in marriage over the years. Largely, when people uh, go for divorce, there's been a mental divorce before before physical divorce, obviously. Mental separation. Adam did this. It was very clear. So there's Adam and Eve. They're married. They've become one flesh. God comes and says, have you eaten of the fruit? And Adam, instead of saying, look, Eve and I are one here, uh, Eve was taken out of my my side. She's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. And therefore, this is my fault, this went wrong, that we together ate this fruit. What he, what he does is he commits mental divorce immediately. The woman you put here, it's her fault. And he starts thinking of his wife as separate to himself. God made the two one, but now it's, no, it's, he's mentally separating. It's her fault. And when you get to that situation, then it's not long before there is a divorce. 
What God has joined together, let no man separate. Not even mentally. So be careful. We're to dwell together. We're to have the same ambitions and plans. We are, and it's not around a nice sofa and a nice house and good children. It's together to serve God. So that's the second thing. First, be like Christ in the same way, he says. Second, be considerate. That means that you live with one another according to knowledge and you're about the same mission. Here's the third point. Respect or honor. See verse 7? Look. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Respect means honor here. Honor them. You place her in the highest place of honor. She's chosen to submit to you. Make sure that you treat that with sacred trust. Cherish your wife, honor your wife. Use your strength to support her, to bless her, to speak to her in a way that makes her feel honored, that she's honored. Speak to her in a way that exalts her. And when you're out and when you talk about her, speak to her in a way that exalts her. I remember when uh, Tom and myself were talking to a fisherman uh, back to fish and uh, down, down by Kingston Bridge. And we were chatting to a bloke, saying, what are you catching, mate? Fishermen are very wily people. They don't like to give away much. You've got to talk to them in, in a particular way. And they don't like young blokes. They prefer older blokes. So I think Tom asked, and it shut it down straight away. I have to ask in an old bloke way, uh, yeah, well, oh, you fish, fish, yeah, yeah tench, you know. Yeah. Uh, you've sort of got to talk like this. And, uh, and I said, oh, what bait are you using? And a bloke came along and said, I would chop my wife up and use my wife as bait. <laughs> and it was like flipping egg. Uh, it, was sh- it was like shocking. And it, it wasn't even funny. Um, and, you know, I wanted to move away from this bloke. It's, fishermen always say things like, yeah, well, it gets me away from the wife. It's always the wife. Gets me away from the wife. This bloke was saying, it gets me away from the wife and I'd like to use her as bait. There's no honour there, was there? It was quite shocking. You treat her as if she's got a very high price tag. Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far more, far above jewels. If you've got an excellent wife... You treat her like jewellery. Yeah, we, we have, haven't we? Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. The weaker partner here, the word part, really means vessel. It's like a vase. So husbands, this is how you are to treat your wife. Precious. You treat your wife as a precious, beautiful, expensive, fragile vase. It's not necessarily saying she's fragile, but it, although I think it, well, we'll see that in a minute. But at this point, you treat her like that. You treat her as the fragile, weaker one. Don't handle roughly. Look at, look at the bottom and you'll see them, the manufacturer's instruction. Fragile, handle with care. 
You treat your wife as a treasure pot, a mean vase. You don't throw her around, roughly treat her. You treat her specially, as if she's got great treasure in her, as the weaker partner. She's not weaker intellectually, she's not weaker morally, she's not weaker spiritually. She's submitting to you. So you treat her with great respect as God loves to treat the weak and the vulnerable with special hands of love and delicacy. The Greek goes like this. Let me tell you the literal Greek of this little bit of the verse. Dwelling with, according to knowledge, as with a weaker vessel with the female. Right, let me read that again. This is, this is the literal Greek. Dwelling with, according to knowledge, we've seen that, as with the weaker vessel with the female. And the word female there is the word feminine. And it means belonging to women. So you treat her as a woman. She's not a man. So don't treat her like a man. You treat her like a woman, with that which belongs to a woman. She's different to you. So you treat her like a treasure pot, but you treat her like a treasure pot who's different to you. Now this is where we men find it quite hard. So for instance, if you come to the hub, it's quite manly there. Um, unfortunately, for the women that work there, for Saffron and Catherine, they have to put up with a lot, and we've got to rethink this sometimes. But Tom, Dean, Ben, we're all men, and we like men company, and we talk like blokes, yeah? And we can have fun together and speak to each other. But I mustn't go home and treat Anne like that. Why? Because she's not a man. She's a woman. So we've got to be careful if we're surrounded by blokes all the time. We're blokey, come home, you know, you know, like blokes, oh, poof, yeah, hell, yeah, hand, poof, yeah, all right, uh, what are you doing? Um, you know, if, if I treat her like I treat Ben and Dean and Tom, my goodness. So what he's saying is, dwell with, a co- uh, dwell with according to knowledge, So you're living together, working together with knowledge in your head. As a weaker vessel, she's precious, but she's a female precious one. So husbands, don't treat your wife like a man, as if they they are a man. They're not. In nature and in constitution, a woman is more vulnerable. She's weaker. She's more vulnerable. Treat her like that. In grace... Your wife is exactly the same as you. Same grace that worked in your life works in her life. Same life that Jesus Christ has given you, he's given to to her. All the privileges of the gospel that are given to you are given to her. And so that leads me to my fourth point. Heirs together. Do you see that? Heirs together. Be like Christ, serving your wife. Be considerate. Live with one another, you live with her according to your knowledge. Respect, honour her as a woman, as a wife. Now, your heirs together. Verse 7. And as heirs with you, 
of the gracious gift of life. What you have, she has. Your joint heirs, your co-inheritors with the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have different roles. You do have different roles. But don't think that one is lesser than the other. Let's get rid of that lie that's around today. As if women are lesser beings, and, and we're saying because they've got a different role, they're lesser beings. It's absolute nonsense. We've seen the word submission and how strong that is. Meekness, under control. You are equal heirs. You have equal dignity. You have equal gifts of life. You have, uh, you're equal in the kingdom of God. You may have different roles. You're partners. You're not competitors. Please remember that. You're working together for God's kingdom. You're encouraging each other to be about God's kingdom. And we we saw last week, if you heard last week, if you didn't, then go and listen to it, that Abraham needed Sarah to fulfill his God-given mission. He couldn't have done it without Sarah. How could he have a baby without her? He needed Sarah to fulfill her calling as a wife, so that he could fulfill his calling as a husband and a man of faith. Adam. Adam was made to go into God's world, under God's word, to do God's work. And he needed Eve as a helper to do that. There wasn't competition. They weren't about different works. It wasn't like the man is about the kingdom of God and the woman's at home about the children. There was no division here. It was about the kingdom of God. They all work together. They need each other to do the work of God in the world. I have to say that I would genuinely, genuinely not be able to have done my ministry without Anne. Anne is actually pretty talented. Way more intelligent than me. Way more, I'm not, I'm not being humble here, uh, and if you know her, you know. Uh, way more intelligent, much nicer personality, uh, doesn't get herself in trouble, follows the laws of the world, which is very frustrating <laughs> when you're the opposite to that. Um, uh, she could have gone very far in the literary world, but she's not a competitor. She's been behind the scenes person to support the work of God, a submissive strength. Anne is a covenant woman who's got a contract with the Lord. And way up yonder, yonder will, she'll get a great reward. Your wife is a covenant woman. She's got a contract with the Lord, as you have. An heir together with the Lord, about God's work together, jointly. And that leads me to my fifth point. It's the last one, so. Husbands, in the same way, same way as Jesus, be considerate, understanding, as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect, and as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Why? Well, all the reasons I've given, but here's the punchline. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. So now we're back to the overall mission that I think Peter's talking about. 
which is chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans, non-Christians, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter is wanting us to live in a way that reaches the hard pagan for Christ. We've seen that in the various uh, uh, things that we've looked at, slaves and obedient to authorities and wives and so forth. So now we're back to his overall mission. If we're going to achieve that overall mission, that the pagan, the hard person that's against the gospel will come to faith and bring glory to Christ. If we're going to do that mission, you need to pray. You can't do that mission without prayer. We need help from our Heavenly Father. We can't live without prayer, without a relationship with God. We can't do that. And if God's saying at our point, the way you treat your wife, I'm not going to listen to you, and therefore you'll never reach the lost... What will happen is we'll become hypocrites. We'll become religious lawmakers. We'll become self-righteous, angry people. We can't do it without prayer. And if we can't pray, we won't be able to do this work. We need to pray. Listen to the Lord's Prayer. That's so often called the Lord's Prayer. It's so helpful. This is the prayer of the couple. This is what we want to be praying as a couple. Our, Our Father in heaven... Father, you're our Father, you're in heaven, we're both children of God. Hallowed be your name, may your name be honoured around us. Well, God's going to say, I'm not going to listen to that prayer if you're not honouring your wife. Stop talking about honouring me if you're not honouring your wife. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How could you pray that prayer when you're not honouring your wife? How could you say your will be done in heaven when you're saying rude things to your wife or mistreating your wife? You can't pray that prayer. Forgive us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Except mistreating my wife, please. That's the prayer as a couple. That's what we're together. That's where we're together, working together, not in competition. We've got different roles, and, and maybe they're different at different times in our lives, but we're working together for the glory of God If God doesn't hear our prayers, there's no hope for us to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Because he prayed. (laughs) Critical to our mission is how we relate to others in the home and in the church. And if you are badly relating, you won't be able to pray, you won't be about the mission. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1. Just listen to it. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Listen. This is God speaking to his people. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. 
Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed, the weak ones, the vulnerable ones. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widows. How you live and how you treat the vulnerable, if you treat them badly, God won't listen. So how, husbands, are you treating the weaker vessel? The root of the word hinder, it's a very hard word that Peter uses here, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It's very harsh. It means to cut down, cut off. It means to render something fruitless. If you treat your wife badly, your, your prayers will be fruitless. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing that God does. He said, God is actively not listening to your prayers. So it's very strong stuff, isn't it? I don't know whether you've prayed and you realise you're not praying. I remember we, we, uh, we had to deal with a, a woman once and uh, it was shocking what she said about another Christian woman. It was shocking. I mean, breathtakingly shocking. And uh, I, to be honest, didn't know what to do. I was both embarrassed, shocked. I felt dirty. I actually went home, and I know this sounds odd, but I went home and had a shower. I felt so dirty at the way this woman was talking about another Christian woman. The interesting thing is, she was all mouthy and said, let's pray. Why don't you pray? Shouldn't we pray? You should pray. And uh, unfortunately, I, didn't, I really didn't know what to do, but I couldn't pray, really, although I did. It was just words coming out of my mouth. Her life was so horrible. What she was saying about another Christian was so horrible that I faked a prayer. And that's what made me feel so dirty, because I didn't really mean it. What I wanted to say is, God, judge this woman! <laughs> Bring down your wrath on this woman and upon her mouth. But I prayed something like, oh, let us be loving and let us be kind. It wasn't real. When relationships are broken, it's hard to pray. If you're not praying... Could it be the way you're treating people? And in particular, we're dealing with husbands and wives. So brothers, look at your precious wife. Yeah? She's pretty precious. Yeah? I mean, who else would want to be married to you? <laughs> I mean, they're a saint, aren't they? When Anne started at a good book, they used to call her Saint Anne because I knew the founder of the Good Book Company. <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? So we are to do these things, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner 
and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The Amplified Bible, it's a funny, it's a funny name for a Bible because it sounds like you, know, it's really, you open it up and it's like a Harry Potter thing and it shouts at you. Um, uh, but what it means is that they add the words to show you the Greek because the Greek words mean so much. I, I actually really like this. I'm going to read it. Let me read it. In the same way, you husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, with great gentleness and tact, and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. As with someone physically weaker, since she is a woman. Show her honour and respect as a fellow heir of of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered and ineffective. I'm going to read it again because it's so good. That's what it says here. You need the Holy Spirit now. You need to repent of how you've treated your wife right now. We'll give you some time. Because, you know, it was tense coming today, perhaps. And you need to tell your wife that she's a great blessing to you. And let's together recommit to serve God together. Let's not be competitors anymore. Let me read it again. In the same way, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way with great gentleness and tact and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship as with someone physically weaker since she is a woman. Show her honour and respect as a fellow heir of grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. Do you need to confess to God? Men, let's do that right now. Father, we um, thank you for your uh, word to us this morning, and uh, we, we want to um, take an opportunity, um, uh, wh- whoever we are, but especially as husbands, to uh, say sorry uh, to you, to confess the ways in which we have Uh, failed to be like Christ in this area, uh, for the ways we failed to be uh, considerate as we live with our wives. Uh, We're sorry that we have not uh, thought hard about how to know them, studied them, to live according to knowledge with them. Uh, We pray that you would uh, forgive us for not showing um, the proper respect, the proper that proper honour um, that is due to, to, to wives, to our wives. Uh, we pray that you would forgive us for those times when we haven't recognised that together they are heirs with us of the gracious gift of life, that they are equal in grace, that we are children of the King, uh, that we need you together as much as one another. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that in your, in your kindness and in your severity, uh, you will even go so far as to block our fellowship with you in order to lead us to repentance and to draw us up short and to show us that you will not have um, sustained hypocrites um, uh, as your children, really, and you you want to lead us back to you. And uh, Lord, we thank you that we come to you this morning knowing that there there is big grace for failures like us. Um, We thank you for the Lord Jesus, uh, for what we read of him in chapter 2, that he himself bore our sins, these sins, 
in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. We thank you that through the wounds of Jesus, um, failed husbands, failed wives have been healed of our sin and have been made right before you. And we pray that you would help us to live lives that are worthy of that great salvation, to, um, to live out who we are as forgiven children of the King. Um, and we thank you for, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.